closing time open all the doors and let you out into the world closing time turn all of the lights on over every boy and every girl closing time one last call for alcohol so finish your whiskey or beer Hey tennis fans and welcome to another edition of the Southpaw Slice. I'm Ben Lewis alongside Mike McIntyre here for our final episode of the 2018 season. Plenty to recap really the full year and our latest event to recap the Davis Cup final between France and Croatia. Remember you can find us at Southpaw underscore slice. Find me at Ben Lewis SN590 and find Mike at Pro tennis fans. So we'll start right there, Mike, with the uh, Davis Cup victory. Uh, Croatia, I, I suppose we can say in a way a surprise winner uh, when you think about who we maybe would have projected at the start of the year. But uh, it was definitely a Davis Cup where I felt like they were the fra- favorite over France. And, you know, it's it's nice to see, I guess, in the final match, uh, a top player like Marin Cilic uh, closing it out for them. And really the the last time we will see this Davis Cup format. Yeah, first of all, uh, Ben, I think the two teams that were there both have very strong, like, overall teams. Yeah, there's not, like, a Djokovic or a Federer on either side, but just very well-rounded, including their doubles players, and and that's how you have to build to have success in Davis Cup for the most part. And, uh, you know, both teams have have been been there before. So Croatia, uh, I believe their second Davis Cup title, they had won one back in, in 05. France had just won a year ago, so, you know, maybe time for them to to hand it off to someone else. But these are two teams that I look at and I think, gee, I hope that Canada, and I, I think we're kind of moving in that direction, but it would be great if, if, if we you know, have that kind of moment eventually in even this new Davis Cup format. And I think we've got the kind of group coming up emerging where uh, that could potentially be us at, at some point. But these two teams, you know, finally ending the ATP season uh, in, in a sense, or the men's season in a sense with this uh, this final tie and uh, and good for Croatia, who pretty easily handled France when you think about it, other than the uh, the doubles tie on the uh, the middle day. Yeah, and I think uh, France was uh, certainly just completely overmatched uh, in terms of the the singles uh, that they they didn't carry with them a top twenty player, which is which is rare because we can think of many many French names, but uh, some of those French names we know are, are getting on the back end of their careers, like a Joe Wilfried Songa, uh, Malfis Gasquet, who didn't compete in, in this case, and uh, good for Marin Cilic to close it out because he was in that same spot two years ago uh, when Croatia battled Argentina and he blew that two sets to love lead against one. Martin Del Potro and Argentina won that year. So a, a nice win for Croatia, but at the same time, kind of overriding the event, a, a bit of a cloud uh, in, in the sense that this is the last time we're going to see the, the Davis Cup tie and uh, pretty telling that uh, the ITF president, David Haggerty, was booed by the crowd. Luca Pui afterwards said he would boycott the new format. Uh, just not, uh, not really a good look leading into 2019 where uh, Davis Cup as we know it will end and we will see the the new format summoned in yeah not really getting a lot of like warm and fuzzies over this one and uh you got to kind of wonder like what was the thought process how did this thing ever get passed in the first place now that there's so many people that are seemingly you know uh like feverishly uh, critiquing the way that it's going to be 
And uh, there's just so many issues with it. I don't even know where to start. I mean, just the fact that the guy that's, that's kind of put it together is, is not even a tennis guy whatsoever. He's a professional soccer player. Seems very strange to me that it's not even one of our own. Uh, and then just the timing of it, it's going to be late in the season. And how many times have we heard this year as, as the season and the fall stretches on that, uh, that we've got to find a way to shorten the season, not lengthen it. And I mean, if you're going to have a Davis Cup final between two nations in, in November, uh, fair enough. And those two teams have built to it and their, their respective teams are looking forward to it. But to have as many as they're going to uh, sort of put together in this round robin major you know, team, a team event, it just, it just seems poorly uh, thought out. And then you've got the, uh, what is it called, Ben, this new ATP thing that they're, they're doing too. Simply, the, um, uh, simply called the ATP Cup, which is uh, planned for 2020. Um, right. Yeah. And Just how many of these team events do we need close to one another? And which one are the players going to go to? You can't tell me they're going to do both in such a short turnaround time, like ending one season, beginning another. It's just very, very confusing to me. Yeah, and uh, this ATP Cup format, uh, just to give give our listeners an idea, and the launch is aimed for 2020, that that it's a team competition. But this one featuring uh, 24 countries, and then it's supposed to be grouped off six groups of four. And I just was giving a thought about it. When you have that many countries, 24 countries, and then you're taking the four best, you could have some major outlier nations who could be throwing up, you know, players ranked like 745 and then uh, playing against players ranked in the top 100, which I don't know if that's going to make for quality tennis. Then you think about the timing of the event in a couple of years. Um, if they want to sell guys like Federer and Nadal um, and well, we'll see We'll see how Djokovic is holding up then too. Uh, this is, you know, two years from, from now and these guys are already the old veterans i don't know about the timing of this we already have labor cup which has arrived i just feel like tennis has to be careful that if you do dilute your product uh people aren't going to be as willing or invested or or as interested if, if we're just over overrun with so many of these like labor cup hopman cup atp cup where where does it end right we're being pulled in too many directions at once and it seriously makes me question what leadership if any there is at the uh, upper levels of this sport and for the Davis Cup, this is supposed to be a reboot to like reinvigorate it. And I think it's having the exact opposite effect. And, uh, and I, I would hate to see the Davis Cup, uh, you know, flame out in, in this way. Yes, uh, no, that would be horrible to see. But I, if we want to take maybe a, ha- a glass off full approach, let's try and say don't knock it till you try it. We'll see how it works out next year. But uh, I just imagine it's certainly going to have a completely different feel. But at the same time, it, it might be compelling if we do get the Federers and Djokovic's playing in Davis Cup because it's something we haven't seen uh, in a while. Nevertheless, uh, that change is coming. ATP Cup is set for 2020. Um, obviously, this being the final episode, of 2018 we we wanted to do sort of a look back on the season we'll start on the men's side uh we didn't have an episode last week but just two weeks ago we saw Novak Djokovic uh get to the finals of the end of year title I I feel like everybody thought he was going to hoist that and then Alexander Zverev stepped up won the biggest title of his career throughout a week where he was you know uh backing up words consistently saying this season is too long, but uh, he did summon up the strength to pull off uh, his best win yet. And now leading into 2019, maybe the question for me is on the ATP side, is someone going to wrestle away a grand slam or two from, from the big three uh, after seeing Djokovic, Nadal, Federer sweep the slams? 
Yeah, I'm all for this recap with you, Ben, because I feel like predictions not necessarily always our strongest point. <laughs> no, not at all. But, uh, and for how many years, you know, have we, and not just you and me, but, but tennis fans and pundits everywhere have been saying, all right, this has got to be the year where we see some new faces, get some slam success on the men's side. And again this year, you know, Federer, Nadal, and then Djokovic back-to-back Wimbledon in the U.S. Open. So it's got to be 2019 then, I, I guess. Um, and, and if we look at names, to me, uh, it's the three guys that have beat Novak Djokovic since Wimbledon to keep an eye on, and that's Kachanov, that's Tsitsipas, and that's Zverev. And I think all three of them are, are poised. I would put, uh, I would actually put Kachanov maybe at the forefront, just the way that he was playing in the latter half of the season. Boy, he had some big wins. And then Zverev obviously up there too with how he finished at the, the Tour Finals, although I still feel he's got a mental block that uh, the other two I mentioned don't have at the slam level. And, and he should have had a breakthrough by now already, and it hasn't happened. And we talked about it at length over the course of our episodes this year. But uh, until he breaks through, that's got to be weighing on him every slam he enters. Uh, but those are the three for me to keep an eye on. And the fact that they beat Djokovic when he was on fire in the last half of 2018, um, you know, really puts them ahead of the others. Yeah, I, I'm looking at uh, two names and uh, we're crossing over on the names Vera for sure. Uh, just talent and ability alone, the way he can uh, dictate from the baseline and overpower so many of the players, uh, not only just in the top 100, but even the top 20 that, um, you know, I, I think we have to see it at some point and whether a grand slam final is a breakthrough or a semifinal, he did reach a quarterfinal this past year. I, I am expecting something in 2019. One name that you didn't mention, and I think actually will have a decent shot at the French open is Dominic team. Um, I, I think he is the greatest clay court threat, not named Rafael Nadal. And uh, he was one guy who kind of pushed, uh, pushed Nadal in the past couple of years on the clay surface. Novak Djokovic, I imagine is, you know, given, the form we've seen from him this season uh, in the in the tail latter half uh, that we will see that clay form again that uh, you know Nadal has won 11 of those but with Djokovic back in form and team getting better and better I wonder if uh, those three could really be jostling for for Roland Garros this year so I give Dominic team a, a definite shot at the French Open uh, given given his clay court success and pedigree and uh, you're right about Karen Kachanov just incredible talent um, I want to see it uh, more so on the Grand Slam stage obviously played that incredible match with Rafael Nadal at the US Open and uh, I think his game is obviously very suited to the hard courts so I think he's going to be a name when we get to Australia that uh, people are going to be looking at on their draw and want to uh, avoid absolutely and then uh, my other question or thought is can what can we expect from guys like Del Potro Anderson Chilich in terms of resurgency that they've had over the past couple of years and knocking at the door uh, of Grand Slam titles, but not quite getting there. Yeah, Delpo, for me, it really depends on on his health, which unfortunately is sort of back in question again as we end 2018. Uh, Kevin Anderson, to me, and I think I'll be mentioning him a bit later, is is certainly one whose confidence has just soared. I mean, you can just, looking at him, he's like a totally different guy after what he's been through since that U.S. Open final in 2017. It's been really wonderful to watch someone who's so humble and so nice also really just see him sort of like own his top 10 status on the ATP world tour. Now, definitely no, no fluke that he's been in uh, two slam finals and, uh, and Chilich obviously finishing strong in, in Davis cup, uh, won a slam during that time that we're still in, I guess, where nobody else wins slams. 
So, um, yeah, I think, you know, those, those three names are certainly uh, in that mix too. That being said, if, uh, you know, we looked into a crystal ball and, and saw the, the four winners for this upcoming season and you told me that, you know, Djokovic wins Aussie, Nadal gets the French, maybe Federer could take back Wimbledon and then Djokovic at the U.S. Open, like, that wouldn't surprise me either. No, that uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. And I think maybe the, the real real question could be, yeah, does, does anybody uh, outside of the big three snag a slam? And uh, another name to watch for uh, that we haven't mentioned is what, what will Andy Murray do um, just with a longer layoff and really get to work on some strength and, and conditioning, not playing right now and taking advantage of, of an offseason uh, to get back to his best. And I, I don't know if he can ever reach uh, world number one level again, but uh, is he going to be a player that can be- get back to the top 10? I'd be very curious to see. Yeah, he's kind of off the radar, uh, I'd agree. And it'll be interesting. You're right. If Is he even able to come back and play regularly? Uh, gosh, I really hope he can. And then whether he comes back and has a return like a Djokovic Federer or whether he struggles like Stan Wawrinka did, at least he's coming back and, and able to give it a try, which we haven't seen yet. And I think it'd be a real shame uh, for Andy not to be able to, to go out on his own terms uh, whatever way it uh, it ends up being. Either way, we'll have our eyes peeled on that. You're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Find us at Southpaw underscore Slice. Subscribe on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I figure we do uh, uh, sort of fun segments on both the ATP and WTA side of sort of matches of the year. And uh, let's let's... I guess, lead with our MVP of 2018. I have a feeling uh, we're going to have the same pick, Mike, but uh, you can start us off. Oh, great. Throw me first. I was going to wait for you and then say the opposite because <laughs> oh. I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure we're looking at two guys. It's either Djokovic or Nadal, and you know they, they kind of carved up the season, right? Nadal was first half for the most part, and Joke from Wimbledon on was just you know absolutely uh, on fire. And you know, recent memory is going to make me go with Djokovic because he just, you know, tore it up, taking Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, and, uh, you know, finishing strong. Even though he didn't win the Tour Finals, you know, getting there, and he was a little bit banged up as well. So I think he's the, the easy choice. But but Nadal, I, gosh, I don't know. I, Nadal, to me, also, what he was able to do, given his limited schedule, he played the fewest number of tournaments in the top 10 with only 13. Uh, Djokovic, just to compare, had 17 tournaments team played the most in the top 10 with 25 and that's no surprise because that guy plays way more than he ever should but uh you know the fact that nadal was uh was in the hunt for number one despite playing less tournaments despite having to withdraw from a couple with injuries uh you know what i'm going to go out and just say if i have to pick one or the other i'm, I'm actually going to go with nadal despite all that Djokovic did just because of his his limited play and uh and then when i think about it gosh that match at wimbledon between him and Djokovic which was so close, uh, 10-8 in the fifth set. Boy, if Nadal had won that, I think that would have totally changed the, 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 the whole season and maybe you know, denied Djokovic the, the ability to really uh, get his confidence back by, by winning a slam. Now, that didn't happen, of course, but just the fact that uh, Nadal was able to, uh, to push him so hard there on grass was, was quite impressive. And, um, yeah, I guess I'm going to go with Rafa for a long-winded answer for my MVP. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm, I'm giving it to Novak Djokovic. And yeah, to me, it really it does hinge on that match, that uh, Wimbledon semifinal, which was a 9-7 in, in the fifth set. And you think about uh, Kevin Anderson waiting in the finals there and played a 26-24 with Isner. You figure the winner of that match is going to win the, the Grand Slam title. And uh, we can probably predict had Nadal pulled off the win over Djokovic, he was going to hoist the title. Uh, but I, I think he silenced a lot of doubters at that tournament 
as well. Uh, for many years, people thought he couldn't really get it done on grass anymore, uh, despite the fact that he does have a few Wimbledon titles. He had really struggled at that tournament for the past five, six years. Um, and that was just a sensational match, really a coin flip. And uh, Novak gets that and turned that, carried that momentum over uh, so astonishingly well into the hardcore season, uh, you know, winning, winning Cincinnati. And then, of course, just dominating the U.S. Open. Uh, but given where Djokovic was uh, at the front end of the Australian Open, working back uh, from that wrist injury and then sort of battling his way through the clay court season where he had some strange losses that we were just not used to seeing from Novak and getting to the world number one, uh, for me, he is uh, he is the MVP of the season. Um, yeah, of course. Of course, that's fair. And I, and I should say, I'm not a Novak hater. Uh, you know, <laughs> his fans are very quick to defend him. On, on Twitter as they as they should, but uh, no, all the respect in the world for what he was able to do this year. I think he's great for the game. He's he's very underappreciated for his um, sportsmanship on the tour, and uh, yeah, him and Nadal both just absolutely fantastic seasons. If they could just both uh, have it going on at the same time in 2019, that'll be uh, super fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll get uh, next, I guess, to the most improved player. And uh, how about I lead it off this time? Take the pressure off. Good, good. You. I'm glad you're, you're offering to go first. Thank you. <laughs> uh, to me, this player was kind of billed as a clay court specialist when I really found out about him last year from Greece. And we, we talked about him just, just earlier. But Stefano Tsitsipas, his uh, rise uh, up the rankings, especially uh, towards the summer of the season, was really meteoric. And we got to see it uh, firsthand in Toronto where he had a uh, spectacular Masters 1000 appearance, beat Novak Djokovic there, uh, had a handful of top 10 wins and got himself to the final where he lost a a fairly close two-set match to Rafael Nadal. And uh, yeah, I just think big, big things are are on the horizon for Tsitsipas, who is uh, one of these young kids, just 20 years old, part of that next gen and uh, certainly one of the best. And finishing top 20, I believe he is 15th in the world right now. Uh, To me, I have him as uh, most improved player. And he's super fun to watch too, right? Like he's got a lot of personality, which can kind of blow both ways depending on, you know, how much he's uh, sort of uh, going off emotion on the court. But I think overall, this is a really fun guy who's, who's going to be, uh, you know, great to watch in coming years. And uh, I mean, we got to see him up close and personal in, um, uh, in Toronto here. And uh, it almost felt like, you know, the, the Rogers Cup was turned into, you know, like the Greek Open with all the uh, <laughs> blue and white flags and the Danforth representing. Uh, so, so super fun to watch, I think. And uh, for me, the MIP, and, and there are obviously several we can look at. And I'm going to go with, uh, you went with a younger guy, I'm going to go with an older guy. But John Isner, to me, to have the uh, sort of career, undoubtedly career year uh, at, at the age of, I think, 33, was quite remarkable uh, getting to his first Grand Slam semifinal at Wimbledon and uh, and really pushing there against uh, against Kevin Anderson that uh, that really could have you know uh, that match gone either either way uh, quarter followed that up with a quarterfinal at the U.S. Open as well and for so long he had just been this guy where in the summer you know he's going to dominate those 250 tournaments maybe a 500 tournament but uh, you kind of knew it wasn't going to translate at the at the Slams and I don't know what suddenly clicked but between that and his uh, Masters 1000 uh, victory earlier in the year, as well on the hard courts um, in, in Miami. Uh, really great for a guy that, uh, you know, I don't agree with his politics necessarily, 
Uh, and I know a lot of people give him a hard time over, you know, the supposed one-dimensionality of his game. And, and sure, the serve is it's all predicated on the serve uh, as a starting point. But, uh, you know, good for him to solidify things and have that great season. And he became a dad this year, too. So I think 2018 is going to go down as, as one to remember for John Isner. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't think people should take credit from from. Uh, his ability to, you know, have one of the best serves on the planet and one of the best serves we've ever seen in, in tennis. It's, it's not an easy thing to do, even if uh, his game is is predicated on that shot. It, it's an incredible shot and uh, something we should we should appreciate. Uh, we'll move on to match of the year on the men's side, and uh, I'll go first on this one. Um, we just talked about it, but to me, it has to be Nadal versus Djokovic at Wimbledon. Uh, just nine seven fifth set. It had the drama of actually. Being being carried over from the previous day because uh, Kevin Anderson and John Isner played for so friggin' long that um, <laughs> these guys had to, uh, of course, Nadal and Djokovic were going to have an epic one themselves that they had to uh, call it due to darkness at uh, three sets and Djokovic being ahead two sets to one. They pick it up the next day. Nadal gets back, levels it, two sets apiece, and then they have an incredible fifth set uh, where it really could have gone either way. Nadal had his chances, I believe, at 7-all. Djokovic hit, hit a miraculous passing shot and then gets the break at 8-7 in the win and then gets his uh, Grand Slam title. So uh, gets his 13th and then 14th at the U.S. Open. To me, that was the match of the year, just seeing this rivalry renewed, and they have such a spectacular rivalry. It's a 27-25 for Djokovic in 52 career matches. I love how excited you got talking about that when you actually said friggin' on the podcast, which, uh, <laughs> I don't know, did we bleep that out or we just let it roll? That's awesome. Yeah, that might be uh, as far as we've, we've gone towards cursing on the show. <laughs> I don't know if we can keep that. Uh, I'll take one of the two guys for uh, for match of the year, and it was Nadal for me. Boy, he played in some exciting ones this year. And it was the one before the Djokovic one, and I have to admit, I saw more of this match, so that's biasing me, but the quarterfinal at Wimbledon against Juan Martin Del Potro was also absolutely fantastic. The two guys were just so dialed in between Del Potro with his leaping like Boris Becker volleys on the grass, which for a guy with all of his wrist injuries, my God, my heart leapt into my throat every time he did it. Uh, Nadal jumping into the crowd at one point, and that was a, a pretty epic picture that circulated on social media, just with the fan reaction behind him. Uh, fifth, five sets, obviously, um, and, and to me, that was just absolutely electric. And I don't know, it just harkens me back to my days as a kid watching, you know, epic five setters at, at Wimbledon. And that one certainly was, was right up there for me. Yeah, and I remember Andy Murray had been on the bo- uh, in the box actually commentating for that match. He, he called that fifth set uh, the best tennis he, he'd ever watched. So uh, that was uh, certainly some high praise from, from Andy Murray, a guy who's competed with the two of those uh, at the highest levels. Uh, we'll finish, uh, I guess, with disappointment of the year. And as, as we always do, we had plenty of controversies, some bad treatment of ball kids. Um, disappointment of the year for me player-wise uh, was actually... Grigor Dimitrov. I know there are other names to choose from, but I really thought the way he ended 2017 winning uh, the Nitto ATP Finals that uh, it could really be a step forward year uh, in 2018. Turn uh, turn that into further progress and maybe knock on the door and be a Grand Slam contender. And he really just went the opposite direction completely. Uh, did nothing at the Grand Slams. Didn't make a second week. Zero titles all season uh, and just 24 wins on the year. And uh, that pushes, pushes his ranking 
back to uh, number 19. So certainly a season of disappointment for Dimitrov. We'll see if he can pick it up uh, for the following year. But uh, I was expecting a lot more for for the man that they dubbed Baby Fed when he uh, hit the scene. Uh, didn't really get it done this year. Uh, I mean, that's that's just not not hard to argue with at all. Uh, mine is going to be short and sweet. I'm just going to it's going to be two words. Jack Sock. Yeah. Yeah, that's all you really need to know. Um, I'm not going to say any more than that, okay? It was just unreal. Yeah, uh, pretty hard to comprehend uh, that his ranking right now is number 107 uh, in the world. We'll, uh, we'll leave it at that, and, uh, and we can shift over to the women's side. Uh, and recap, obviously, uh, the women have you know certainly more parity when it comes to Grand Slam results, which we see time and again. And this year, uh, four different winners, which was always fun to see because we go into each Grand Slam and we really have no clue who's going to win them. Uh, and it started in Australia, where Caroline Wozniacki won her first, Simona Halep won her first at the French Open. Angelique Kerber picked up her third um, at Wimbledon, uh, second at Wimbledon, third overall. And then Naomi Osaka um, won her first uh, at the U.S. Open. Um, and, so, these, and these, sorry, these were all like such heartwarming like winners, you know, to see Wozniacki and then Halep get their first ones. Uh, you know, Wozniacki, who's been around seemingly forever, so that was really nice and unexpected sort of you know, in her uh, late 20s, even though she's still a very competent top 10, I mean, number one, number two player uh, at the at the start of the year, but I just didn't see that coming. Uh, Hal up to get over the mental, um, you know, challenges she's had, especially after losing such a tight Aussie Open final. So impressive that she was able to bounce back and get it and to see her and Darren Cahill do that together was really uh, heartwarming as well. Kerber for me was another great story because she had such a sort of miserable 2017. So to get back into the Grand Slam winner's circle was uh, was great for her. And then to finish with Naomi Osaka, who's just this emerging talent, who's uh, such a sweetheart and uh, just has this wonderfully awkward sort of sense of humor, sarcastic sense of humor. Uh, great to see a, an up-and-comer as well after the three veterans took the, the first three of the year. So I, I love it. I love the, you can call it parody, you can call it unpredictability. The women's game is, uh, it's just so incredible for me to, uh, to follow and watch right now. Yeah, I think we just had terrific storylines in, in each of the Grand Slams. Uh, I should correct myself, Angelique Kerber. That was her first Wimbledon. She has three slams, uh, U.S. Open, Australian Open, and Wimbledon. So her first there. And uh, yeah, certainly a lot of doubt about her after the terrible 2017 she had. Uh, this sort of lends the question, though, of, of seeing these different winners and tr- trying to in any way project what to expect on the women's side. W- who are the names? Uh, who are the top contenders at Grand Slams come 2019? It's just like impossible, though, isn't it? It's just yeah. so impossible. Let me just grab the top twenty and I'll read them off one after another. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's how hard. That's how hard it is. Uh, look, I really like Sloane Stevens as a uh, you know someone who's going to get a, a second slam at some point. Um, very very cool that she was able to get to the finals of the French Open of all the slams on clay this year. Didn't see that one coming. Um, she's had some really strong results and, and really cemented her status now, I think, in, in the top 10. So she's one that, that I would uh, watch. Uh, Got to float out Serena Williams. Uh, I think if she doesn't win a slam this year, it, it's going to be, to me, very unlikely, or at least that chance is going to considerably drop that she'll win one if she doesn't nab a grand slam in, in 2019. Just getting older and, uh, and, and juggling being a mom, which 
you know, just from looking at what my wife does day in and day out with our three kids, doesn't get easier. I uh, don't know if her and her husband want a second child or not either, but, you know, if she's in her late 30s, if they do want more kids, then then that's probably something that's going to happen. Also, you'd think in the next two to three years. So it's got to be 2019 for me if Serena's going to hoist another one. And, uh, you know, say what you will about her her highs and lows, but, God, I'd love to see her, um, you know, take over from, from Margaret Court as the all-time slam winner. Yeah, uh, and I, I think that's uh, really what's driving the motivation for her to continue. I mean, she has these 23 singles grand slams, and she's just closing in just one away uh, that I, I imagine she will push on until until she can get it, presuming she can get it. But yes, uh, the, the clock uh, is certainly running out on those opportunities. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, to see her play two more seasons, but uh, you know, I, I can't picture her playing uh, beyond the age of 39, which would just be incredible to begin with. Uh, 37 and we, now. We, and we haven't seen her, sorry, we haven't seen her even at her, at her best yet, right? Like, definitely at Wimbledon, she wasn't there yet. It was right. to me remarkable that she got to the final, but yeah. I think that's the, the grass court experience. And then even the U.S. Open, getting things were getting better for her. But again, that's not peak Serena. There's still another level that she can jump up to. And with, you know, off-season to train and get even fitter and get more dialed in, uh, you know, could be scary to see what she uh, brings out at the Australian Open in, uh, in a couple months' time. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, you know, and if she can notch it up a gear to 90% level Serena, I, I only think there's a small handful of players uh, who could beat her when she's producing that level. So I, I would never, ever bet against her. Uh, let's just put it that way. I would not be surprised at all to see her hoist a Grand Slam title. You mentioned Sloane Stevens, and I have her in my notes. I, I'm a- absolutely expecting her to further contend at Grand Slams this year. And another name, we, we've talked about her uh, highs and lows in a Alina Svitolina really closed on a high uh, winning the end of year title. Um, and we, we've talked about her woes uh, at the Grand Slam stage, which I, I think is very similar to Alexander Zverev. So I, I'm curious if uh, she can get over the hump in that regard. And I'd also be curious to see uh, what players like Arena Sabalenka can do. Um, had such a terrific uh, summer and fall, and she was one of those names. Uh, I, I find her pretty similar her, in her game to Naomi Osaka. If she's maybe the next young player who could uh, have a breakthrough. Um, certainly, I have my eyes on her. Yeah, and her Osaka could have like a, an emerging rivalry too because they played such a great match at the U.S. Open. That was really the only one I thought that uh, that Osaka struggled with uh, is that three-setter against uh, Sabalenka. They're both, I believe, 20 years old. Uh, they both hit so hard. Uh, it's going to be neat to see what they do as sort of an encore in uh, in 2019. Yeah, and uh, we'll uh, carry that over to the MVP of the season for 2018 on the women's side. I will let you uh, lead off. Go ahead. Who's your MVP? It's it's the number one. It's uh, Simona Halep, without without a doubt, Australian Open finalist. Like I said earlier, she didn't let that loss get her down, even though she, she led in the third set of that one. And then she captured her first slam at, at Roland Garros. And, uh, you know, even though things kind of tailed off there and, and the Wimbledon loss in the uh, third round to uh, uh, Su Wei Shea was, was shocking to me. And uh, at the U.S. Open, she kind of said, uh, you know, just the, the, uh, the energy and the pressure kind of got to her, which I found strange after she had got her first major this year. And I thought it would have been like, okay, monkey off the back. And, uh, and it's going to be, uh, you know, more ahead for her even in 2018. That didn't pan out, but she's got the world number one. She's got her first slam. 
um, you know, to me, it's uh, it's Simona Halep for MVP. Yeah, and I have uh, Simona Halep as well. She also just had a great, uh, great summer uh, on on the hard courts. Really uh, getting winning one title, getting to another final, uh, and even prior to that French Open, um, again was knocking at at the door. I, I think a Grand Slam finalist appearance is is always a major accomplishment. She was in the finals at the Australian Open, and I think uh, after that loss to Caroline Wozniacki, uh, you would have imagined the pressure would have doubled, uh, and, and the talk would have grown more and more to Halep can't close at Grand Slam. So, uh, you know, full credit to her for uh, the ability to turn her around at the French Open the following slam and finally win her first. And it won't surprise me at all if she can pick up a second or a third in, in her career. Um, well, um, I'm, interested to, I'm interested to see how things uh, go now that her and Cahill have, uh, you know, amicably parted ways as he's right. going to spend more time with his, with his family because those two really had a, a unique kind of partnership and, uh, and such a close relationship that, uh, it, it, you know, and she's going to go coach list to start 2019. So we'll see how she, you know, fares, um, you know, not just without him, but without a coach as well. Yes, that will be a certainly different look. Uh, I, I give a lot of credit to Darren Cahill, really taking her game to to an additional level, uh, and that's why uh, she was able to finally close, I think, and win that French Open title. Uh, most improved player, uh, certainly plenty of names to choose from. Um, you know, many young players to choose from. I'm actually going to go in a different direction here and choose uh, someone you would call a veteran of the tour. Uh, this was, you know, maybe the second year of her comeback. Um, from a knife attack and uh, falling out of the top 20. Uh, she didn't think she would ever play tennis again, but Petra Kvitova, to me, just had a fantastic 2018. If we simply sort of disregard the struggles at the Grand Slam stage, which to me were kind of baffling, uh, given the way she had been playing throughout the year, uh, picking up five WTA titles, uh, she really just had an incredible year and uh, really solidified a great spot in the top 10. She's uh, number seven and my most improved player. Yeah, she won a ton of matches too this year, and uh, and outside of the slams, had so much success, and and just a great feel good story. Super nice uh, woman, and uh, and couldn't be happier for her. I, I went with a younger one. I went with Sabalenka, who we mentioned earlier, twenty years old, ranked thirteenth now in the on the WTA tour. She went fifty one and twenty five, and that was very back end loaded in terms of victories. She won in China, in Wuhan. She won New Haven finals of Eastbourne, finals of a tournament in Switzerland, semifinals in Cincinnati. I mean, she really had a lot of deep runs in in events. That great match at the U.S. Open with Osaka, which I think if she had won that, it might have been her in the final against Serena. And I think some some Grand Slam success, a Grand Slam final, is certainly in the cards for 2019 if she continues on the, uh, you know, trending upwards as she, she did this year. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a staggering number of matches. Uh, so credit to her uh, not only be, being able to compete uh, that hard throughout the season, but uh, finding so much success uh, later in the season with those titles. Uh, 76 matches is a lot of tennis. Um, I'll get to, I guess, my disappointment of the year on the women's side. Uh, for me, it was Garbina Muguruza, um, who I was wondering if we could take another step forward and, uh, you know, lock down a spot as one of the 
dominant sort of top five, top three women's players on the tour. And she really just went completely in the other direction. Uh, she fell out of the top 10 and she's now 19th. Um, and second round exits at Australia, at Wimbledon, at the U.S. Open. She dealt with a wrist injury, which I think was a major setback for her. But this is someone who's won two Grand Slams and uh, was going into Wimbledon defending and falling out of the, uh, in the second round there was, was pretty shocking. And uh, for her, I think she's going to be hitting the reset button in this offseason and trying to find her form again because she's such a talented player uh, that, you know, I, I really think she belongs, uh, if not just in the top 10, in the top five. Yeah, good pick, and I was also really surprised that uh, that she didn't accomplish more. Uh, for me, I'm going to say Maria Sharapova, who, uh, you know, she's five uh, Grand Slam tournaments into her uh, return to the game, one quarterfinal, which was at the French Open this year, but otherwise very mediocre results, uh, surprisingly underwhelming. I would have thought by now she'd be back in the groove. And, uh, you know, especially given the fact that, uh, you know, earlier in the year Serena, you know, wasn't there at the, the Aussie Open, and, uh, you know, the French, uh, they were supposed to play each other and, and didn't. I just thought that Sharapova would have taken more advantage of that. And, uh, and it didn't happen. And then, I mean, you know, first round Wimbledon, fourth round U.S. Open. And then she shut her season down. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what she does uh, next in, in 2019. I don't even think that we're going to be including her in that uh, contender category anymore. There's just too many other women that have... Uh, fully uh, asserted themselves, uh, you know, over the last season. Yeah, it's going to be incredibly difficult for her. Uh, next year, she's going to be turning 32, and uh, we're not having sort of the strange look of the men's side where you have players in your 30s scattered throughout the top 20. That doesn't really exist on the women's side. Just a couple of them. Uh, in Kerber, who's just over 30, Julia Gerges, I think, just turned 30, uh, and then, you know, Maria Sharapova is outside of that top 20 and uh, ranked 29. So, uh, yeah, certainly the time is ticking for her, and uh, maybe, maybe she will benefit from uh, shutting down the season early and getting uh, more training in the offseason done uh, to, to elevate her game. We will see what happens. You're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Find us at Southpaw underscore Slice. Find me at Ben Lewis SN590. And you can find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. Okay, last but not least, we will finish with uh, our Canadian contingency, uh, men's and women's side, and, and sort of grades, I, I suppose, for, for all our Canadian players. And we're starting on the men's side with uh, Milos Raonic, and I guess I can lead this off and uh, tell you my grade for his very uneven 2018, uh, 2018 season was a C minus. Um, and most of that is to me just once again, uh, the story we've heard time and time again, inability to stay healthy uh, injuries um, were really affecting uh you know, basically all his results this season that went wrong, I think were due to injury. Uh, he had a terrible start, obviously to 2018 and that was due to conditioning because he was working his way back from another injury, uh, the previous year. So he had that early exit in Australia. Uh, I thought he had a nice run on the hard courts in Indian Wells and Miami, but then of course he skipped the French, uh, to preserve his body. And then Wimbledon felt like a great opening where, uh, you think maybe he could make a semifinal or even, even a push at a final when Roger Federer went down, uh, and then had that loss to John Isner and uh, once again couldn't get past Isner at the U.S. Open and then had a had a bad stretch in the fall again. Uh, so C-minus for Milos, uh, disappointing year. And once again, same old song and dance with the health. Uh, what about you? C-minus. Well, well, we're not grading on the same curve, I guess, because I got him <laughs> as a, 
I got him as a B. I almost put B plus because you know what? He finished 18th in the rankings. He's still top 20 despite the fact that he had an off year and despite the fact that it was mostly due in my mind anyways, to uh, health reasons. So I, I don't want to be too harsh on a guy whose body let him down time and time again. Uh, and he still finished. I mean, I don't know. Are we getting just a little bit too? Um, oh, probably. Sort of, I mean, you're you're you the, the you're the teacher, right? Not me. I <laughs> you're probably giving a much more fair uh, fair assessment uh, with that uh, so, that B than a C minus. So I think the fact he was able to finish so high in the rankings, all things considered, just imagine what he can do if if he gets fit again and and his body holds up in 2019 in terms of the improvements he can make on on number 18. I think. Yeah, you're right. Uh, we'll move over to Denis Shapovalov, and I, I feel like your grade's going to be higher again, but I'll lead off anyway. Uh, I give him a B plus, uh, which to me is a, a positive grade. It's not an amazing grade, and it was, to me, just a solid progression for 2018. He was winning matches at most of the tournaments he competed at. He broke into the top 30, which I know was a goal of his. Uh, he brought his skills over to clay, uh, the semifinals in Madrid, uh, another Masters 1000 semifinal best result of the year. I thought he had a great tournament at Delray, uh, but at the same time, I thought that may have been his missed chance there, uh, uh, losing a match there to Francis Tiafo when he maybe could have made the final. And a uh, great win over Robin Hassa at, at Davis Cup and then playing well at the U.S. Open uh, with a, a great match against Kevin Anderson. So, you know, a long season once again. Uh, said he was exhausted at the end of it, but 49 and 41 overall when you tally up all the matches that he played. And uh, into the top 30, he didn't win a tournament. He didn't get to a final. That's the only reason I don't have an A uh, or A minus uh, for his grade, but B plus uh, and another step forward for Dennis. Okay, we're on the same page now. I got a B plus as well. So oh, there you go. wow. Right? Because, yeah, lots of positive there. And I think, yeah, the fact that he didn't win a tournament kind of kept him in my mind from, from getting an A. But a very positive season for him. Uh, you know, people being a little too critical, some people, I should say, I think most of us are pretty genuinely happy with the progression he's making. And I mean, he, he pretty much said what you and I had been wondering all along, which is, you know, getting used to the long season, the grind of the tour, the travel, being away from home. He admitted was getting to him late in the season, but that Davis Cup match was, was fantastic. The semifinals of Madrid was quite an unexpected result. Um, I got to give him maybe even more than a B plus on his new haircut because he looks all grown up. Hey, eh? Dennis. Is, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. Dennis is is growing up with his new shortcut. Um, but uh, yeah, I think B plus is a fair assessment, and I think you know we've got to again sort of keep expectations reasonable for next year and uh, and allow him to still have his uh, you know his moments where he's uh, working his way along that learning curve. Yeah, you're uh, you're absolutely right. We'll uh, move along here quickly to Vashik Pospisil. I'll let you uh, take the lead. What's your grade for Vashik's 2018? Sure, and I and I hate giving Vashik a grade that's not like super positive because he's just such a nice guy. Like if he was a student in my class, I could see like tears if he got a grade like this. But I'm going to give him like a C uh, okay. because he did make he did make gains on 2017, and he's back inside the top hundred at uh, at number seventy. Uh, so maybe I'm actually being a little too critical. I'm not sure, but um, you know, still still waiting for a little bit more consistency from Vashik. Uh, would love it if he was able to get to the stage where he can, you know, regularly play ATP events again. And I just go back to all the success he had, you know, years previously, where you know we had that All Canadian final in DC. He was, uh, you know, a great run at the Rogers Cup a few years ago as well. Really rocking it on the doubles tour too. And he, you know, he's totally disappeared on the doubles radar, and that's by choice. 
But um, I, I just think he's got so much more potential, even though he, he is getting a little bit older. Um, so I, I just think, you know, overall, C, maybe a, a C plus and, uh, and, you know, go ahead and correct me if I'm, if I'm off on this. One. I was, uh, I was more generous. I gave him a B plus uh, simply because uh, if you look at 2016 and 2017, to me, uh, this was a, a big step up from that. 2017 was a bit of a disaster, frankly. And uh, at least for me going into 2018, I wondered if he could solidify a spot in the top hundred again. Uh, And he surprised me in that regard by getting into the top uh, 75 and 70 where he finished. Uh, He won a couple ATP challengers, which was a nice step uh, trying to get that singles game back to where uh, he wants it to go, which, you know, I don't know that he has the ability anymore to be making a Wimbledon quarterfinal, but uh, at least to be in the mix of grand slams and give yourself a chance to win a match or two I think that's maybe his ceiling now and I thought he played he played well at the Miami Open actually I made a note of that he had a nice win over Milos Raonic later in the season that was in Belgium so I'll give him a B plus uh, simply because I I wasn't certain he could return to the top 100 and number 70 is the ranking so that's not too bad uh, next name Felix Ojeali Asim for me uh, strong A plus um, you know Given, given the age of, of this kid, uh, just 18 years old, uh, he's making a meteoric rise up the rankings. Uh, I think he has just a fantastic talent. Reasonable to even think that he could be the more talented of the two between him and Denis Shapovalov. But uh, I think in Canada right now, as a fan, you should be spoiled that you can pick between these two because Felix, again, uh, you know, took another stride in 2018, a big one. He won himself a couple of challenger events. He played that uh, terrific qualifying of U.S. Open where he was wowing the crowds, uh, being able to qualify for a Grand Slam event. And he's just 18 years old. So uh, for me, uh, a resounding A-plus grade. Wow, I don't give out A pluses. So, okay, <laughs> uh, I give him a, I give him an A minus. Again, age certainly comes into it, and the fact that at one point of the year he was uh, uh, his 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 lowest ranking uh, was was one eighty five, and he finishes at one oh nine on the cusp of the top hundred. So, uh, I think we're going to be talking about Felix a ton in two thousand nineteen, and I'm really looking forward to to when he's able to to qualify and 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 sort of play ATP events on a, on a regular basis and. Uh, Gosh, we're going to have so much to say with him and Dennis for the next like decade plus. It's going to be really cool to see how both their careers develop sort of side by side. And, and hopefully they, they kind of, um, you know, push each other to, uh, to achieve uh, great things on the ATP tour. Yeah, that would uh, that would be uh, terrific. On the absolute other end of the spectrum, Daniel Nestor leaving the game. Tennis wise, I don't really want to grade him uh, no, on his no. twenty eighteen. Well, let's not game. even talk about the yeah. Let's not even talk about the tennis. Okay, right? but let's just talk about the the legacy that he's leaving behind. I'm giving him a an A for going out as the greatest Canadian tennis player of all time. I'm giving him an A plus for his performance at his roast in the summertime where he turned the tables on the people roasting him and, and dished it out as much as he was taking it. And uh, obviously he's going to have a tough time on the court at, at, at this age. And the fact he was playing with different players now week in and week out as, as it was tough to find any regular partner, knowing he was uh, calling it quits at the end of the season. So, you know, thanks to Daniel Nestor, he's, He's just given us so many great moments between the Olympic Games, the Grand Slams, mixed and and otherwise. And, um, you know, just an absolute pleasure to uh, to enjoy that through the, the tougher years of, of tennis in Canada, for sure.
100%. And uh, we'll leave that over to uh, the women's side to shed our grades before we wrap up uh, 2018 on the Southpaw Slice. We'll start with uh, Jeannie Bouchard. And as as up and down as a season it was, the way I think we were talking about her in 2017, I don't think it was all that bad as maybe some people will try and make it out to be. She did fall out of the top 100, but started to gain her footing at the end of the season. I gave her a B minus um, because she she showed signs at least. Uh, she showed signs to me at the Luxembourg Open, getting a semifinal there late in the season again in Malaysia. She was uh, she fell to the top seed, Julia Gurgis, but uh, played well there, had a nice tournament. And uh, she had a decent uh, U.S. Open having to play through uh, qualifying uh, and ha- having to play through qualifying at Wimbledon, which which is a difficult thing to do. Uh, so, yeah. you know, B minus. Yeah. It, it wasn't it wasn't brutal. And I, I think there's reason for optimism with Jeannie. Yeah, I wrote down the same thing. I got her at C plus and uh, kind of along the lines of Vashik, you know, they both got back into the top 100. I think she's currently at number 88, if uh, my last check was correct, uh, and, and exceeded expectations. Uh, certainly good second half to the season. Like you said, did real well in slam qualities. Her Fed Cup comeback for Canada, uh, returning to the Fed Cup team, I think went way better than, than I imagined, especially uh, playing in Montreal where she faces enormous pressure. And, uh, you know, she just seems really comfortable with herself and, and those around her right now. And uh, I, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic that she can, uh, you know, make further gains. And I think if she can, you know, get back into the top 50, that would be uh, pretty impressive at this stage. Yeah, and I ho- hope for her going into 2019 that maybe uh, the pressure has been a bit alleviated. You know, she's not going to be going in having to really defend anything and uh, has been taking strides forward. So we'll see if she carries any momentum into the new calendar season. I'll go over to uh, our, our doubles player, Gabriela Dabrowski, uh, who continues to uh, succeed at the highest levels in doubles, which does not get as much play we know. But I gave her an A-. minus. She debuted in the top 10 as a doubles player, of course, won the Australian Open in mixed with Matty Pavich. Great success there. Uh, won a Premier 5 in Qatar with Yelena Ostapenko. The reason it wasn't an A, I know she wanted to do much better at the French Open and she hasn't really put it together at the US Open yet. But, uh, you know, she's she's a fantastic doubles player and the reason we don't talk about her much is people don't talk about doubles that that much. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and for me, I give her an A+, because to me, anyone who wins a slam should get that kind of a grade. And, uh, you know, I'm rating her basically, you know, entirely in her doubles play, which is, you know, pretty much uh, the bulk of what she does now. But uh, winning a slam, having uh, strong results throughout the year and really uh, cementing yourself as a top 10 doubles threat. uh, She's right up there for me. Gets so little attention. And I wonder how that, you know, sits with her. But uh, uh, I just thought, uh, you know, super and uh, and room for improvement still as she's I think the confidence is growing in her own uh, abilities these past couple seasons. Yeah, we'll uh, move it along quickly. Francoise Abanda for me was a C. It was just an incomplete year. She was really out of form for much of it. She had a nice tournament in Montreal where I thought she looked like herself again. So uh, I, I hope she can uh, channel that into better play. And Carol Zhao, uh, I sort of had the same grade of a C that uh, she did at at one point overtake that rank as the top ranked uh, women's Canadian player. But uh, sort of after that happened, it seemed like the wheels fell off. I don't know about you, but uh, she, she didn't seem to be the same player, at least through the uh, second half of the season. Yeah. I hate being too critical, but I gave them both uh, D's to be honest, Uh, you know, a band both 
the results on court and then some of the sideshow stuff off the court that, uh, you know, comparing her treatment to, to Jeannie Bouchard. And, and look, uh, you know, when it comes to racism, you have to take those claims absolutely seriously. And, and I have no doubt that she's faced, uh, you know, that throughout her career as both a junior and a professional. There's nothing to make light of there. But, you know, comparing treatment to someone that's, you know, been to Grand Slam finals before, I, I don't think that that's where I feel like she kind of lost me. Yeah. Uh, and then Carol Zhao, unfortunately, couldn't build on 2017 where she finished so strong. And, and kudos to her to get in that Canadian number one very, very briefly. But she's sitting outside the top 300 right now. And that's uh, that's a disappointment given how things were looking, uh, you know, earlier in, in the year and to finish the previous season. Yeah, uh, we'll go to uh, another A-plus for me, which is uh, Rebecca Marino. And I I would have given her an A just for the comeback alone to be able to get back on the Pro Tour circuit after five years and compete. Uh, To me alone, that's that's already so impressive. And then, you know, you you take that into account and look at the results, which were just, I think, more than anybody could have uh, expected. Five ITF titles. And she did so much that she's earned her spot into Aussie Open qualifying, uh, getting some... Uh, the top 200 so just an incredible comeback story uh, we've said it before one of the uh, Canadian sports stories of the year yeah it was just the best I mean you could write a book just on her comeback this season I put her as a an A plus as well uh, and uh, going to be really neat to see what she can do now with that season under her belt uh, moving forward she's the number three ranked Canadian already on the women's side and I would not be surprised if she finished next year as our number one. Although there's one other player that we haven't mentioned yet that I could see also contending for that. And that's Bianca Andreescu. And if we transition over to talking about her, I'm giving her a B plus, especially for how she finished 2018. Uh, injured after the U.S. Open. But when she came back, she came back with a vengeance at the ITF, ITF sorry, level with a couple of titles and, uh, and some semifinal results as well. And when she's healthy... Uh, you know, only 18 years old, but what a powerful game. What a, a belief in herself. She's uh, flirting with the top 150 right now, which is quite remarkable, given that she uh, had, you know, some injury uh, issues that kept her out for a lot of, of 2018. I hope that back of hers is okay, uh, but she's going to be one that's uh, that's really fun to watch. Uh, on the female side, sort of, I hope, an equivalent to uh, to Dennis and Felix if uh, if she can stay healthy. Yeah, look, she's a B-plus for me as well, the way she finished the season so strong after coming back from injury. And uh, I think uh, we sort of forgot about her in the middle of the season. And, uh, you know, she's 18 years old coming into 2019 and hits the ball very, very hard. And to me, could be, uh, you know, the great sort of Canadian hope we have right now on the women's side up and coming. Uh, and it would not surprise me at all if she uh, seizes, overtakes that uh, number one Canadian ranking and uh, surges her way into the top hundred i i'm expecting that's the next stage as long as she's healthy and uh, i really think uh, she will be um we will leave it at there it's been uh, an incredible fun 2018 of tennis mike and uh you know we're gonna take uh, the hiatus the off season that the players do but uh i'm gonna be very very excited to get back to work uh, for 2019 as well yeah, absolutely. Me too. And I mean, I'm glad that we're not grading ourselves and that no one's grading us either, but I think we did a pretty <laughs> decent job, all things considered. And, uh, you know, just thanks again for having me on this year and, and to John Reed, your former co-host as well. You know, you guys brought me on this year and I didn't really know quite what to expect, but it's been a, an absolute blast doing these, uh, these recent ones with you, especially in the late stages of the season has kind of 
reinvigorated my uh, interest in post-U.S. Open tennis. And I think we're hitting our stride, but I think better things are, are lying ahead for 2019 as well. Absolutely. Uh, it's certainly been a pleasure to, to have you uh, through the bulk of 2018. And we will see all our tennis fans in 2019. You've been listening to the Southpaw Slice. Shoot!